Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Welcome one, welcome all. It is volume 27 of the NFC East Mixtape, a project presented to you in partnership by Blogging the Boys and Bleeding Green Nation, SB Nation's home for Dallas Cowboys and Philadelphia Eagles content. You can listen to the show on both of our podcast networks. You can listen to the beautiful baritone voice of one Brandon Lee Gowton from Bleeding Green Nation. You can listen to my all right voice, RJ Ochoa from Blogging the Boys. BLG, happy belated birthday, my friend. RJ, appreciate the shout out from you on Twitter on Monday Football Monday. Really, it was a good birthday. A lot of uh, good times, friends, family, everyone, uh, coworkers, everything. Great time. Uh, before we get into this episode, I want to actually read a review that we oh. have because it's a special review. You always love to point out how Eagles fans like to tell you that you're their favorite Cowboys fan. Well, RJ time for me to turn the tables this review on the bleeding green nation podcast feed which again mm-hmm. cowboy fans you're welcome to leave a five-star rating interview on that just like you eagle fans are welcome to do the same on blogging the boys podcast feed title cowboys fan coming in peace from tx pride 83 just stopping in to say that though i do not subscribe to this podcast because well you are the enemy i do very much enjoy the nfc east mixtape slash crossover that blg and rj ochoa do weekly blg unlike a lot of eagle fans i have encountered actually makes logical sense and i enjoy hearing his opinion and takes on topics so how about that Mm, okay blg how about that how about the five and one Dallas Cowboys. Let's hear your takes and your opinions on one of the very best teams in the National Football League. Per NFC East mixtape tradition, we will go in order of the division standings. We have a lot to get to when it comes to, again, one of the best teams in the NFL, the Cowboys, and then, you know, the rest of the NFC East. Uh, a group of three teams that has as many wins combined as the Dallas Cowboys do on their own. We will touch on the Sean Taylor situation as well when we get to Washington. Uh, but BLG. You know, rule state. We have to talk. Uh, we have to start with America's team, five and one after a thirty-five to twenty-nine overtime victory on the road against the New England Patriots. Dak Prescott threw for more yards against a Bill Belichick team, uh, Bill Belichick Patriots team than anybody ever has. Cowboys had a billion yards. I mean, just. Uh, an incredible performance from the Cowboys offense took overtime. So there's that little tiny little, you know, piece of context that's necessary. Um, I have some thoughts, but I'm, I'm curious to hear yours first. Uh, I don't think we learned anything new about the Cowboys in that game. It's not like, wow, we didn't know this before. Like, it's like, yeah, their offense is firing on all cylinders. Trayvon Diggs continues to intercept passes, which I just, oh. I don't understand how that is possible. It's it's not like we say it defies logic. Yeah, yeah, it defies it's logic. not, but it keeps happening. So like, I don't, I don't know what to say. Obviously, like, I mean, some of that is him being a good, or a lot of it is him being a good player, no doubt. But like, even still, like, this is just insane. Like, it's more than just like you know, some of the best cornerbacks in NFL history haven't gone on runs like this. That doesn't mean like I don't think Trayvon Diggs is better than them. It's just like the right mix of being a good player and somehow being in the right time, in the right place. And I guess teams not maybe avoiding him enough. Like maybe don't throw his way. And kind of just avoid that. 
Uh, this, so. this throw was was not like specifically at Trayvon. It was a little tip too. I mean, you could tell Mac Jones was. Right. I think he approached this a lot more wisely than than the quarterbacks before him. Certainly more wise than say Sam Darnold. Um, just an unfortunate tip. Trayvon's got great hands, uh, great speed. Takes the, the interception obviously to the house. A much needed touchdown for the Cowboys. Uh, by the way, BLG Trayvon Diggs now has two touchdowns on the season, which is twice as many as Philadelphia Eagles first round rookie wide receiver Devontae Smith. Um, just more, I've, I have more context on that number, by the way, um, an even more depressing stat. And by the way, <laughs> you're trying to sl- slander Devontae Smith here. I mean, again, can we get him a quarterback who throws over the middle? Because Jalen Hurts literally throws over the middle. Like, well, well def- to be fair, Trayvon has a uh, touchdown off of Jalen Hurts as well. So, I mean, they have just as many off of Jalen Hurts this season. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Um, but again, like I think Devonte Smith's lack of production, which isn't even bad, but I'm just saying, I think he would be exploding with a quarterback who actually throws over the middle of the field, which again, Jalen Hurts does not just 3% of his passes. RJ have been in between the hashes. Like that's insane. Like you're just, mm. it's like opposite Jimmy G. Like you're not using a big part of the field. You're just not using it. So anyway, right. uh, the stat I wanted to bring up even more depressing uh, so far this season, Trayvon Diggs, seven catches, 142 yards, two touchdowns. Jalen Rager has two fewer yards and one fewer touchdown. So great use of a first round pick by the Eagles last year. Um, but yeah, getting back to the Cowboys of it all, uh, you know, big win. It's a stretch where, again, we've talked about this before. The Cowboys aren't necessarily being tested like in this major way. There isn't like this like measuring stick game or this like really elite opponent. It's all inferior competition and they're taking care of them, even though I will say, there were still some Mike McCarthy moments in this game and they didn't end up mattering, but still something to kind of like file away for down the road. So I will say something that a majority of Cowboys fans learned is not the right way to put it, but came away from this, this win feeling or understanding is, is, and I don't know how much you agree with this BLG or any Eagles fan would agree or disagree, but previous Cowboys teams lose this game. Um, now you're going to roll your eyes here. Very questionably officiated game, this particular contest between the Cowboys and Patriots. Some questionable things. You know, you remember, of course, the Dak Prescott goal line touchdown that was ruled not to be a touchdown against the Eagles on Monday Night Football. At least that was reviewed. Dak Prescott had a very similar situation happen to him in this game. The officials don't review it. We find out after the fact it was reviewed. I don't know why that information isn't shared, you know, during the game. Uh, Fourth and one early on, Mike McCarthy goes for it. I don't have a problem with that. I'm sure you do. Uh, but afterwards, Mike McCarthy challenges it because the Cowboys don't get it. It looks close. He challenges it because they don't even measure. Like, why do we have the chains and all this stuff if we're not even going to go measure short fourth downs? Um, you know, we, there was some missed, you know, roughing the passers and hands to the face calls against Dak Prescott, some ticky-tack holding things. Now, this went both, way, uh, both ways. Anthony Brown got away with a face mask late in the game, so I don't want to act like the Cowboys are these victims or anything like that. But um, it there were a lot of mistakes that the Cowboys made and some officiating things that went into it. And generally speaking, in the past, the Cowboys have lost that game. And then, you know, if, if this were the Cowboys teams of old, we'd be sitting here at the bye and every Cowboys fan would say, look, we're four and two. We didn't anticipate this. We're, we're already kind of playing with house money. We only lost this game because the officials and the, the mistakes and those things are correctable. And I think where Mike McCarthy deserves some credit and there's, there's credit that goes around here is he's been in these games before. And obviously he's had Aaron Rodgers and everybody wants to, you know, do what they can to strip him of, of any sort of credit at all. But th- this is the difference. They, and, and some of it is that their their nucleus of players is older and more experienced. They, they've been in these games themselves. This isn't 2016 anymore where, where they have all these puppies running around at such important positions. But 
the, the Cowboys a little bit more battle tested. I think that showed up in this game because they they fought through, they persevered, they overcame their own mistakes, and they got you know it's an inconsequential win. It's over an AFC team, but it was a big way to kind of ride into the bye week for them. Yeah, I mean it's important. Obviously, I don't think the Dak injury seems too serious. Everyone's talking about that, right? Like that's all. S- sound indications. more depressed about that? Jeez. You know, I'm just I'm not really like obviously I'm not like rooting for him to be hurt. I'm not going to like jump for joy about it. What do you want? What do you want? I mean, I'm just it was a joke. It's, you know, it's, it's a joke. I know, look, I know this is an uncomfortable thing for you to talk about how the Dallas Cowboys are amazing, uh, how their offense is fantastic, how Trayvon Diggs is a more productive pass catcher than, you know, the last two Philadelphia Eagles first round draft picks. But um, five and one did did feel I want to say impossible, but really unlikely for this team at the bye. Uh, they're five and zero since Michael Gallup suffered his own calf strain, since Demarcus Lawrence broke his foot, since Lyle Collins was suspended. They rode out Lyle Collins' entire suspension and went undefeated. And and that you know the Friday after I've said this several times to you. The Friday after the 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 week one loss to the Buccaneers, it felt like when all this was hitting the fan, like the Cowboys were about to be in in the 2020 season all over again. And I mentioned this on our Tuesday show on the blog and the boys network, the seven five Oh, that I do with Tony Casillas in a weird way. Like I know this is certainly hindsight. I, I think if, if this success had happened to last year's team, I've told you before how Mike McCarthy operated with a sense of arrogance. I don't know that they're able to kind of like persevere in games like this new England one. I, I think the, the humbling that has happened to this team and to Mike McCarthy over the last few years has really gone a long way at, at, you know, helping them kind of keep their head down and power through moments of adversity, moments of difficulty, like they kind of found themselves dealing with in New England. So I'll say two things about the Cowboys. Number one, I think they deserve a lot of credit for prioritizing the right thing, which is kind of weird to me to say for a team that has done that in a poor way in terms of paying linebackers that maybe that weren't so good, like Jalen Smith, and just that position as a whole, and then running back. But, you know, from just like the offensive line and and obviously the uh, the wide receiver core and everything, like they they did the right thing ultimately at the end of the day, which is like focus on building an elite offense. Like that's what wins in the NFL. And then uh, the defense has been opportunistic. It doesn't have to be perfect. And that's a winning formula. So I think there are teams out there who do not do that or maybe try to do that and can't execute it. I am looking at Howie Roseman here. And I think, you know, that is should be the goal. That's something that's like sustainable. This isn't like when the Giants, you know, uh, had some success uh, once upon a time. And we'll get there. My my frustrating thing with them was always like that's not a model. Like that's what's so frustrating about how they won the Super Bowl. Like this isn't like the blueprint. They're not offering a blueprint for yeah, anything. It, like, this it is was just... it was it was luck. I, like yeah. luck luck doesn't even cov- like cover it. It was it was just it wasn't even like right place right time. It was just mm-hmm. being being fortunate that everybody else kind of vomited on themselves. It wasn't deserved. Was the point? It's just like like kind of frust- It makes it even harder to accept because it's like wow, it's not like this. All right, this is just a team, you know, doing well and they're operating a high level and it sucks to see, but like you can at least like like I can understand why this is happening at least. You can at least like reconcile like the logical part of it. Like, you're, saying, you you're, saying the, you're saying the Cowboys you can reconcile, but you couldn't the Giants, is what you're saying. From a logical standpoint right. of like I can understand at least how they're winning. Like I can mm-hmm. see how this is happening. Right? Whereas the Giants, I just couldn't even see how like how is this even happening? This doesn't even make sense. Right. Um so that's the the compliment. The, the the thing I said about McCarthy earlier, I was reading this article on NFL.com. Uh, about the biggest like week six decisions and uh has the the headline is chargers right to go for it on fourth down which i do believe they were and the cowboys results are mixed so it kind of gave praise to mccarthy in the first half of the game for being aggressive but like 
here's the thing though when it comes down to crunch time totally agree like, i agree with this like he turtled up and so 247 remaining cowboys trailing one point facing fourth and two from the patriots 33 yard line this is when Greg Zerline is sent out for a 51-yard field goal, and he misses. Like, you know, you could go for this. And the probability of converting it, um, 59% versus kicking a field goal, 55%. Like, okay, maybe those sound close, but, like, that's a big deal. And then late in the game, uh, they also have the 24 seconds remaining, and the Cowboys trailing by three points and facing fourth and one. So they actually said uh, it would be better to go for it here because then you can try to take a shot at least into the end zone. Um, I mean, even all that aside, though, like whether you agree with that or not, like why did they leave 20 seconds left on the clock? Like, was that a was that a a point of like contention to you at all? Because like that didn't make any sense to me. So, with regards to these two particular things, the 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 decision to kick on fourth and two right before the Trayvon pick six, and then the decision to kick later that tied the game at 29. Um, I'll go chronological here. Completely agree with you that if you might like, this is what people love to say. Like, you know how the people say like, you can't, you can't date analytics. You have to be married to them. Like you've got to go for that. And I think a great example, I know some, some, you know, some people who don't want to like accept truth and, and whatever have a problem with what Sean McDermott did at the end of Monday Night Football. I haven't listened to you and, and Stats talk about this yet on the podcast, but I'm sure you both praised Sean McDermott, made the right call, just didn't work out. Um, no, well, that- see, n- no, though, because, well, yes, on that call, yes, but earlier in the game, they had the Bills had was like fourth and three from the five, and they kicked a right. 24 yard field goal. Right, I, all right, no, for that. But th- that's my point. Like, but yeah. I'm talking about the call at the very end of the game because everybody says you right. kick the field goal, you go to overtime. No, dude, you, you put the ball in your best player's hands. That's what Sean McDermott did with Josh Allen. And that's what I would have loved to have seen Mike McCarthy do. I tweeted this during the game and it kind of went over some people's heads. But so they missed the field goal. The Cowboys do. Trayvon gets the pick six and then Kendrick Bourne gets a 75 yard touchdown. I felt so much better after the Kendrick Bourne touchdown than I did right after the Greg Zerline miss, if that makes sense. You know, the, the, like the 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 score was the same or same like gap, same disparity. But as soon as the Greg Zerline miss happened, it felt like, man, you know, the Cowboys needed to stop. They get, again, the crazy sequence happens. But, you know, it felt like, OK, I feel much better because the ball is in Dak Prescott's hands. It wasn't before the Trayvon Diggs pick six. And so that's what I want. I want the ball in Dak Prescott's hands, who's playing at an MVP level right now. And Mike McCarthy deferred in that situation, which I did not like. Though I can't like. You know, I don't say with a straight face, but I can't like completely defend the decision to leave 24 seconds on the clock. I think the hope is if you miss, something happens, right? Like a a weird botch on the knee, right? Or something, you know, I mean, again, it's incredibly unlikely, but it's a non-zero chance, which is better than zero if you take the clock all the way down. Plus, you you feel like you you know nothing bad is going to happen in the 20 seconds if you do make the field goal i actually think you know people are, are obviously questioning mike mccarthy in this game but like the chargers win for the cowboys where nobody had a problem with brandon staley not calling any timeouts to you know preserve time to give justin herbert the ball i think bill belichick had way worse decisions on in, mm. in clutch moments like this in this game oh, yeah i mean there was the fourth and three punt in overtime but there was also after the the non-deck prescott touchdown at the end of the first half they get the ball by way of a touchback on their own 20-yard line with a minute and a half. And I realized they didn't have any timeouts, you know, so no clock stoppages. But he just takes a knee. I mean, he just just bleeds away 90 seconds. It reminded me of John Fox because that's that's really the only person who's ever really done that in, like, a moment that's gotten killed. And nobody wants to kill Bill Belichick because he's Bill Belichick. But, I mean, you know, that's, that's a way worse decision to me. I'm not trying to defend what Mike McCarthy did, but that's how this game was, you know, kind of in a back-and-forth way. 
I mean, so I've kind of joked about, you know, Brady was the reason why they won. And actually, Belichick isn't that good. But, like, kind of believing it more and more. Not that Belichick is, like, awful, but, like... The, the, trope, the trope is, like, kind of fair now. I agree with you. Like, I mean, at some point, that is, like, a fair thing to say, I feel like. Because, like, I know Pete's point with this. Pete Sweeney from SB Nation NFL Show, for those who don't know, has always been, like, you know, Belichick didn't get to pick his quarterback. Well, guess what? He did this time. And they drafted Mac Jones instead of potentially, you know, trading for Matt Stafford or doing something more. And this isn't a Patriots right. podcast, so we don't have to get into all this, but um, yeah. So Belichick, a fraud is the well, point. And, and Mac, Mac was awesome. I, I kind of think that yeah, I like Mac. Well, I think he's right now playing like, and, and the situations are very different, but he's playing like one of, if not the best rookie quarterback, right? So like, how do you not yeah. trust? Like maybe you don't trust him at the end of the first half, but on fourth and three, you know, in, in like, that's the thing. Like you got to realize we cannot punt it back to this offense, to this quarterback. You've, you've got yeah. to you've got to trust Mac Jones to get three yards there. And it's crazy. It's like the Cowboys aren't at least going to get a field goal. Okay, maybe right. they're not going to get a touchdown. Maybe, but like they're, they're not going to at least move well, in the field but goal. But field goal range, wins so. it at that point. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly. Like, That's what so, I'm saying. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and also, why are you throwing to Nelson Aguilar on third down? Like, come on. <laughs> Like that in a crucial spot, like your go-to guy is Nelson Aguilar. Like, really? Like, that's the best thing you have. Like, that's gonna work out. No. Um, so yeah, Belichick was bad in this game too. But taking it back to McCarthy, uh, this is the kind of stuff that again, I said it's not like, hey, the Cowboys are gonna be debilitated because of this. And I've said this before, but I'll repeat myself. It's just this is the stuff, the kind of little like they it might seem like like nitpicking and stuff. And maybe it is to some extent, but like that stuff is going to matter when it comes playoff time. Like those sure. decisions are going to be like a lot more important than they are when you're playing like teams that just aren't as good. The only thing I'll say to that, and this isn't a results justify the process thing, but people keep saying this and those decisions haven't costed them yet in a loss sense. Right. I mean, yeah. like, and so I, I get the like talking it out and fleshing it out and contextualizing it, but, Right now, his decision making is is justifying itself again. That's results based thinking, which I don't support. But well, I mean, it's it's an interesting. I I, I find it fascinating. You know, people and you know this, like Dax and MVP talk, Trayvon Diggs and defensive player of the year talk, Micah Parsons defensive rookie of the year. You know, on and on and on. And like, there's no discussion about Mike McCarthy deserving like any sense of credit whatsoever. It's it's I interesting. Okay. I think it's um, fine. But, it, well, it's, but it's a, but it's a, okay. So real quick on that, but it's a unique dynamic though, because he's not the play caller. And that absolutely is a big, like, I think, that's I think that, that like he deserves credit for his managing though. Like you're right. Like some credit, but it's hard but, to like, if he was the play caller, then he would be in that conversation is my point. Well, I see like, I, I mean, I don't want to like dive into this tangent, but like if, if people are going to put like Cliff Kingsbury in that, you know, discussion, like his team won without him, like in the building, you know what I mean? Like, so I'm not going to argue for a Cliff Kingsbury coach. I know you're not. Here. I know. I know <laughs> you're not. But some people are. Anyway, uh, my last Cowboys thing for you, BLG, they're on their bye this week at five and one. They come out of that and face your boy, Kirk Cousins on Sunday Night Football. After that, they get the Denver Broncos, the Atlanta Falcons, the Kansas City Chiefs, and then the Las Vegas Raiders on Thanksgiving. Through Thanksgiving night, that's five more games. Cowboys lose one, maybe two of those games. Chiefs, like if you want, if you still believe in the Chiefs, you know, and maybe one for good measure, just to be fair, reasonable, and rational type thing. I mean, they're gonna have you know eight wins at least as of Thanksgiving night, maybe nine. Yeah, <laughs> excited about that. Excited about the Cowboys I'm, is running. 
I'm very it's not excited. fun. It's not. I mean, it's fun for you, obviously, but it's just like for the sake of our conversations here, and for like the sake of like you know takes and everything. Well, the sake, the sake of everything. the NFL schedule makers, like man, they, you you yeah. were the first person who highlighted that they really stepped in it with the way they, they, they set this up. up. They, yeah. they totally messed this up. Like all these division games at the end of the year, are just going to be there. It's like how how do you do that? How do you make how do you render a bunch of division games is totally meaningless? Like that sucks. Like that's. It's just going to be useless games. The the only thing those games are going to matter for is in terms of like draft, uh, like yeah, draft is like okay, and, like that's and, not fun. and like reputations and jobs and whatever. I mean, but and that, maybe not they, even. Yeah, they I don't took know. they took a risk and it's backfiring on them. Uh, for every Cowboys fan and maybe every Eagles fan, later this week on the Blog of the Boys YouTube channel, we are going to take a look um, at the most realistic earliest possible time the Cowboys could wrap up the NFC East. Maybe BLG will help us out there with some of the math. We'll see about that. But why well, like uh, to know? Well, you know, we'll do it. That's what maybe you and I will consult offline. You'll help me kind of do the math and, you know, maybe we'll give you a shout out. But we now head BLG to the second place team in the NFC East at the moment. That is the Washington football team with a two and four record. They lost the Kansas City Chiefs last week, 31 to 13. They were unable to take advantage of the worst defense in the NFL uh, in the Kansas City Chiefs, only putting up 13 points. They did get some help. In the first half, got some turnovers. Patrick Mahomes was very fallible, had maybe the worst decision of his career, um, and actually led at halftime. And I think we kind of, you know, all thought, I know it was a Sunday, you got to chill a little bit because the Eagles played on Thursday night. Man, maybe this will happen. Maybe we'll get to make some fun of Pete Sweeney on the Espionation NFL show, but it didn't. Um, and we have some off the field things to get to when it comes to Washington, but um, they are, are they the worst defense in the NFL? Like, I think they, I mean, has Kansas City passed them at this point just by virtue of this particular game? Uh, they do rank last in the NFL in terms of scoring defense. I mean, there's a very fair argument to make that they are the worst defense in the National Football League. Yeah, they're terrible. You can't stop anyone. I still don't understand how it's happening in terms of the talent and everything, I guess. Maybe some of it's Jack Del Rio. I don't I just I don't know. I still haven't been able to pinpoint that. Just not good. Obviously, when you're facing the Chiefs, it's tough. You know, even the best defenses aren't going to, you know, be amazing against that offense. But uh, Washington, it's not a lot going for them. In the offseason, there wasn't a lot of juice with the team as a whole. What? Now, there no. was nothing but juice with them in the offseason. There were so no. many people who thought like, oh, this defense is going to come back. They signed Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I think, like, actually being serious. No, 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 no. But, but, but they signed William Jackson. We thought that that, remember when we made our all-NFC sure. East team? We thought, like, there were some things they did that, had to, like that's why like the the total yeah, but chaos is strange i'm talking about like training camp there's no like like uh, buzz okay, about okay, this team I got you. okay and the offseason yeah they're like they made some solid moves but it wasn't like overly no one was like really talking about washington as like this um, like amazing team that i you, you like to be like oh you took them i didn't i never said they were going to be great I, I predicted them to win the east at like what nine and eight or something like i didn't say they're going to be this amazing team i didn't think they were like this great team i thought they might be a solid team a barely just above 500 team i didn't think they'd be this bad and surely uh, i was wrong about that and, and they are this bad and our friends over at Hogshaven are ripping them. And because it's not only just about it's like this is just reverting to the to the norm for Washington. Not right. only are they a disaster on the field, but also off the field as well. So that segues into what was the discussion across, I guess, the world last week. I don't even know that that encompasses it clearly. Um, obviously, last week, uh, then Las Vegas Raiders head coach John Gruden resigned in the aftermath of the emails that surface uh, highlighting his misogyny, his racism, his homophobia, 
Um, I mean, just a, a slew of terrible things. And this these emails, as everybody well knows, were connected to the investigation tied to the Washington football team. When we recorded the NFC's mixtape last week, BLG, we, we just touched on this because this was a thing that was, you know, ongoing with Washington. After we recorded, in fact, after the mixtape launched last week, it was announced by the, the team, by the organization, that they would be retiring Sean Taylor's number on Sunday against the Chiefs. Sean Taylor, of course, murdered in 2007, one of the best safeties in the NFL at the time. I mean, was was a player who had everything in front of him, one of just the, the most terrible tragedies to ever happen. And I think I don't I I think you would agree. I can't believe they've taken this long to even consider retiring his number. I think that was the reaction all of last week. And it looked a lot like the organization was using it to distract from the off the field conversations that were happening about them, which fed into the idea that Dan Snyder's ownership is a disaster, et cetera. Um, I do want to say, BLG, before you respond, that our friends at Hogshaven did write about this in a very lengthy way, something I highly encourage everyone to read. This touches on Washington, both on the field and off the field in a number of capacities. Uh, the title of the article, again, at hogshaven.com is on Sunday, Washington lost a lot more than just a football game. Um, it, it, it is a, it's depressing. Like BLG, we want to see this team lose and and be dysfunctional, but not like this. Like this, they used a dead man's legacy to try to shield them, and and it just felt really gross. I think we both agree that these these fans, the, you know, Sean Taylor's family deserve much better than than the treatment that that was given on Sunday against Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that while we all want each other's teams to lose, like we don't necessarily have to root for the most like miserable fan experience possible. Like, does it really like, am I like, okay, the Washington football stadium, let's say like they have great food. Like, does that matter to me? No, like good for their fans. Like that's awesome. If there's, (laughs) they have a good stadium, a concession, like that doesn't matter at all. Like I I want that for them. Cause like, that should be an easy thing. That's my point. My point, what I'm trying to say here is like the Washington gets the easy things wrong. Like the press box sucks. And to Jerry Jones credit, like this is, uh, as I said before, like he does this stuff well. Like he gives media, he's good with the media. He talks all the time. He makes sure like the press box food is really good. Like that is like the easy stuff that like, because it's just money. You just basically have to throw money at it and like, and and obviously get the right people and get it. And it's like, that's not, that's not the hard stuff. Like drafting players, picking the right coach, like some of that, that's hard. Like some of that is admittedly like way hard. Like they can't, Washington can't get the easy stuff right. And, uh, that obviously and and that doesn't portend well when you're trying to do the harder stuff because you can't even get like the basic stuff right then you're probably not going to get the hard stuff right either so uh that's kind of just where their franchise is at and uh it's weird because i grew up i don't know about you but like growing up in uh you know new jersey slash pennsylvania where i am uh like just never really even got to be around a lot of washington fans ever like i don't i can't i can't even tell you i like i don't know anyone personally in my life that like is a Washington fan, like someone that like I have their phone number and I would like talk to them. Um, it's a great way, you know, to put like, it. Right. huh? No, that's a, that's a great way to put it. Like that's a great, true, like though. that's a great point of like intimacy, like having someone's phone numbers. That's a great way to put it. So I, I've just never experienced that. Like I may, I might've known of people and honestly, they're older too. The people I did know were like kind of older generation, which, you know, I guess that makes some sense, but uh, or at least a little more sense. But I know that's kind of different for some people because I have uh, some friends, my friend uh, and BTN con- contributor throughout the years, Patrick Wall. He grew up in kind of like Virginia area, DMV area. And then John Stolness, too, as you know, RJ, um, like they kind of they're they, they're in the Washington market. So they're kind of more exposed to that and they see all that. But from from afar, like not being around that, like I just I don't know. It's never I just never. Why, why are you a fan of this team? Like, what are you rooting for? Really? Uh, unless you're from the area, you know, which, OK, 
like but like it's just like what are you even cheering for i i i would venture to guess like people who are like close to our age um it's just like their families have rooted you know it's like a familial thing at this point and it's mm-hmm. difficult to walk away uh you know when you're when your dad your grandpa your uncles your aunts your cousins you know like when it's like because you know how it can be like it's it's a it's a thing you know with a family um and i do think i don't support this idea generally but if there are if there are fan bases in the NFL currently that are allowed to disconnect or disassociate themselves from, from yeah. things, it's Washington and it's Houston. Like if, if you're a fan of those teams and you want to move on, go ahead. I don't, I don't have an issue with that. Um, but I, to me, BLG, the disappointing thing is like you mentioned they get the easy things wrong, but it, it's not just Dan Snyder. Like that's, that's like a level of incompetence that we've known for a long time. It is everybody. Like it, it's everything. Um, it's Jason the top. Right. And, and I don't want to like deflect or, or, you know, take any responsibility off Dan Snyder's shoulders here. But it, there are mistakes being made by people that are not just Dan Snyder is my point. I, I think Ron Rivera, and I've said this a, a thousand times from a public perspective, has done everything he can. I, this is just too great of a thing. You know what I mean? For him to individually overcome. I, I think on the field, there's a lot of questions. I think you would agree about Ron Rivera and the team's coaching and their footballness and everything. But Jason Wright, the team president, had a really bad moment last week. Um, he, he did release. Uh, a letter as the team president to the team's fans about the Sean Taylor thing and etc. And I mean, every detail of this was botched and like, we don't have to like, you know, relitigate the whole thing, but they, they said they would give away 10,000 towels and everybody said, why, why aren't you giving away a towel to everybody? You know, like th- mm-hmm. there were tiny little things uh, this, this line or this, this you know, little paragraph from the, the article I mentioned, I think kind of summed it up. Sunday and it's loss at the chiefs was much more than just another mark in the loss column on the season. Sunday's failure to properly honor the only 21st century legend that this team has produced was an insult to fans and a catastrophic series of mistakes by the people in charge. The Sean Taylor number retirement should have been a slam dunk for Jason Wright, the team president, and his team. It's hard to imagine that Dan Snyder, who was present at the family ceremony on Saturday, could have allowed this whole thing to have been mishandled. That's the thing. Like we've been told at the NFL has said, Dan Snyder is not connected to this team. It's his wife. Tanya. He's in all these photos and all these photos that, that were bad. I mean, you saw BLG, like, I can't believe this is a, a point to bring up here, but Jackson Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, brother uh, was in the news for, uh, doing a TikTok or doing a dance in a TikTok uh, on Sean Taylor's number that was painted on the field. And, I'm not going to sit here and defend Jackson Mahomes or anything, but it, it was what his, his, he apologized and his apology was corroborated by Washington beat writers in that he, he said he, he was told to stand on the area that he ultimately filmed his TikTok here. And, and that, again, that idea was corroborated. So like Washington painted, you know, Sean Taylor's number on the field, fenced it off and everything. And still, you know, forget the fact that a TikTok was filmed, had people stand there. Like, it, again, the, like, basic common sense fundamental details of this were not just botched, but were, like, completely and totally mishandled. Uh, I wanted to give credit to Jeffrey Larry too, not just Jerry Jones. I think, you know, also gets those things. Oh, agreed. Like, just, we'll get to Zach Gertz, but, like, the way they've handled Zach Gertz is, like, you know, completely, like, they, they well, treat people that. right. Yeah. But I'm, yeah, well, yeah, I'm just, just saying, like, my perspective on that, on that exactly. alone, but you're right. I just I only want to include that because I don't want people to think like I'm only saying like right, I, right. like I was excluding J- Jeffrey Larry for some reason because I'm critical of the Eagles. That's not what I was doing, to be clear. Uh, and then on Washington, I guess the last thing um, you would think, like especially because of all what's going on that you brought up earlier, and especially because of the Dan Snyder situation, him being like away, that like he could maybe get some like 
maybe not good grace. I think that's kind of that bridge is burned, but at least like not be the target of more ire by by doing all this and still can't get it right in a situation where again it's just like such a it's like a layup you just you just have to make it it's like right it's the simplest shot and you just can't do it just they just they i don't and what is it is it just like they're dumb i don't know it's just they just don't get it i guess my last question or point on this is would you believe like i'm not like proposing this i'm just saying if you if we found out this was the case would you be like oh i could totally believe that or this is a complete shock to me uh because a lot of people said that this was a move a pr move to distract from the 650,000 emails that are lurking in the shadows for the NFL connected to the Washington franchise. Would you believe that there was a plan, a conscious plan to be this, you know, to run this, this badly so that yeah. everyone would just be sitting here, like trashing them for how they handled the Sean Taylor retirement um, as a, and, and cause now like the Sean Taylor thing has evolved into like a different level of disappointment than it initially was. So like, would you believe that there is any like conspiracy to like, Hey, Dan Snyder, you got to come out. You got to completely bottle this so that everyone is just dunking on you and everyone forgets about all these emails. I think it's a little 4D chess here. <laughs> mm, maybe. Um, okay. Spring. We do have two more teams in the division to get to. But before we do have, we have, uh, you know, we have to take a very quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Exaggerations and half-truths aren't new in politics. But now with AI, people can create fake videos of candidates to sway your vote. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, and I've teamed up with technology expert and law professor Nita Farahani on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, for a three-part miniseries, AI on Trial. Our second episode presents the hypothetical case of a hotly contested Senate race that is derailed when the leading candidate is accused of using AI to enhance his performance and hurt his opponent. How are we supposed to know when the technology becomes very difficult to validate something as truth or lies? Do existing laws, policies, and government agencies sufficiently safeguard the political process? Political speech is so tightly protected under First Amendment that it makes regulating in this space a real challenge. And what needs to happen to protect democracy in time for the real presidential election in November? When our elections are so close, where it comes down to nail-biting endings, a few voters here and there can really lead to differences in outcomes. The episode is out now. Search Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. It is the NFC's Mixtape BLG. What did you do during the break? I sat here. I looked down at my phone case which is the nightmare before christmas themed it's a uh, is that like a seasonal thing like you only rock it this time of year or something uh i just got it for kind of for my birthday like a couple weeks ago or so a week ago or so um so i don't know yet i actually so my other case was falling apart this is a really good podcast conversation people really care about this my other case was falling apart so i got uh, a pelican too shout out to my mom who actually ordered this for me uh shout out to so, both your mom and dad let's let's yeah. get a proper shout out here well, no, my dad doesn't deserve a shout out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Dad, for listening. Uh, they listen. They're big fans. Anyway, uh, what did you do during break? I did not look at my phone. I looked up at my television. Um, I have four. Oh. I have four screens on, so I'm just they, they were all in commercial. I thought that was funny. 
did you see the Ben Simmons news? <laughs> I was about to get there. I was about to get there because uh, it is now time to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles, the two and four Eagles who lost last week uh, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 20 to 22, the final score. Uh, but Ben Simmons is back or was back uh, with the 76ers. As we've been recording BLG, uh, it was announced that he has been suspended for one game for detrimental conduct to the team. And that head coach Doc Rivers threw him out of practice, and that the suspension came shortly after that. So, um, what is what, what's what's a good thing? Oh, I saw you went to a Flyers game. Maybe that's what Philly has going on right now from a sports perspective. And they lost. Um, <laughs> although it was a fun game because they were down four to two, and they like tied it uh, right at the end, and that was exciting to see. You know, like a fun in stadium experience to actually sure. to see that in person. Um, the Flyers never win in the shootout, so I wasn't surprised. I was telling everyone who I was with, I'm like, they're going to lose this game in the shootout because they always lose mm-hmm. the shootout. Uh, but on the Ben Simmons thing, I mean, just what a loser. I mean, it doesn't matter. Again, the people here, Cowboys fans are listening to this. They don't care about any of this. But uh, I've been distracted during the podcast. I'm just seeing this about how he's been suspended and everything. And he's, he's just the biggest loser. So him and Carson Wentz, glad they're both gone. Is, um, so I, something I posited, um, during the 2017 season was, was that 2017 was the worst year for like ardent DFW sports fans because the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl and the Houston Astros won the world series. And obviously like mega Texas Rangers fans hate the Astros, whatever. Um, is, is this shaping up to be like one of the worst falls for like ardent Philly fans? Because the Eagles are terrible. There are really no signs of, of encouragement. The Cowboys are amazing. Um, and Ben Simmons is back and Carson mm-hmm. Wentz looks like he might be legit. Oh, I don't think Carson Wentz looks like he might. Okay, be I was trying. I was trying to like sneak that one in at the end. I mean, he's he looks stable. I mean, which is he's look and compared to what he had been, that looks legit. Is my point. But like people are like going way overboard. Not you necessarily here. I'm saying, but like on Twitter, I saw this week. Oh man, like Carson Wentz looking good. Well, first of all, people, are we really not acknowledging he's playing the Houston Texans, who people literally thought is like going to be the worst team in the NFL this year? Like, so first of all, calm down with that. And he also completed 55% of his passes for like 200 and something yards. Like this isn't Joe Montana over here. I was like, calm down. Like, yeah, he's, he's playing fine. He's not as horrible as he was last year, but guess what? Not even his biggest detractors would tell you that he was going to be as bad as he was last year. Again, no one was saying, no one was arguing that was the case. All right. The point is like, he's not going to be a guy who gets you over the hump anymore. And there's a lot of baggage that comes with it. So no. Uh, and the Colts are still not going to win the AFC South, and they're going to deliver a first-round pick to the Eagles because they're dumb. By the way, RJ, like I know maybe this is nitpicking, but like the Colts were up 28 points late in that game against the Texans with like three minutes left, and they were still playing Wentz. It was only like for three plays, but like, what are you doing? Why is he yeah. still playing? Like, I, I think, put, it, put in your backup. I think Frank. I love Frank Reich, the person. Might not be as great of a head coach as we initially thought in 2018, which was an incredible coaching achievement given the way he inherited that position and, you know, whatever. But um, the wheels might be falling off for the Colts. But um, I do have one last Cowboys question before we touch on the Eagles, BLG. Um, Later this week, since the Cowboys are on a bye, I'm going to, you know, I know you do this at at Bleeding Green Nation. Big shocker. We do a lot of similar things across the SB Nation network, but I'm going to do a rooting guide for the Cowboys. Do you think if, do you think Cowboys fans should at this point, 
be rooting for division rivals to win certain games? Because this was a point of contention last week. Should the Cowboys should Cowboys fans be rooting for the Eagles or the Bucks? Because you know it's it's kind of a foregone conclusion. Cowboys going to the NFC East. Maybe you, you lower the Bucks' odds of getting that one seed. Like you know, because I think at this point every Cowboys fan's rooting for the Colts, right? Push that first round pick as far down as you possibly can. Yeah. But so like this week, you know, you're rooting for if what should how should Cowboys fans feel? Is my question. Well, Cowboys fans should be rooting against the Titans, clearly, you know, and hoping the Colts win the AFC South. Right, right. Um, I would say. And so then even they're though, rooting for the Cowboys, rooting for the Colts. And then what about everything else? And then with the Eagles, I think it's it's a little too early, I think, to say, like, definitely root for the Eagles to win just because the Eagles still get to play the Jets, the Giants twice, Washington twice. That's how um, I said last week. Like they have some winnable games here. Like it's probably not going to happen, but like it's a little like you're getting like a little cute with that. Like if you're saying like root for the Eagles to win right now, I think it's still fine to like like I think you'd rather err on the side of like just like let's, let's just be safe. Let's make sure they lose. Like they're dead and buried and not like still like gasping for air or trying to you know come out of the ground. I think uh, it was yeah. it was mostly to do with the fact that it was the Bucks. Like I don't know that anybody's rooting for the Eagles against the Vikings. You know what I mean? But it was a matter well, of yeah. like. You know, like like this week, Washington has the Green Bay Packers. So maybe this right. is a, you know, if Green Bay can stumble a bit. By the way, everyone who's listening to this show should be uh, rooting for the Chicago Bears this season. Let's get that, you know, out of the way. We want that first round pick as far back as possible. So in that sense, too, maybe you're rooting for Washington to be Green Bay, help Chicago win the NFC North. Who knows about that? That's a whole different thing. Uh, we've been quote unquote talking about the Eagles for a little bit BLG without actually talking about the Eagles. Um, I don't know that you have much more to say on the loss to the Buccaneers. I think it was a spirited fight. I mean, it, it was a better game than I think most people thought it, it would be. I mean, that was notable, you know, uh, Hey, I mean, Bryce Harper was there. Good don't times. Patronize <laughs> don't patronize me with this. Uh, I think the performance was bad. Obviously. And the defense did as much as they could because uh it's Tom Brady and the Bucks offense is really right. good you're not gonna like hold them to so going into the game I said like the formula for victory here is the Eagles allow like low 30s and if that's if they do that that's like that's they've done their job if they can allow the Bucks to low 30s and Which they did they even did. better than that mm -hmm. um but I said this game is on Jalen Hurts like Jalen Hurts has to step up in a big spot in prime time against a good quarterback again I think I've told you before the only quarterbacks he, he's beaten are Taysom Hill and Matt uh, Ryan. a couple of other ones and Matt Ryan and then Sam Darnold, who definitively clearly stinks. Uh, so, like, you know, be, go out and come up big in a big spot. And I phrased this to it, it, to, uh, to Jimmy Kemsky on BGN Radio uh, this way. I was like, when was the last time? And obviously you don't watch, like, every single Eagle snap like I do. So it's not the same thing. But I'll ask you, too. Like, when was the last time Jalen Hurts had, like, a wow throw? Like a throw that made you like, wow, that was like, this is like a franchise quarterback kind of throw. The whoever, I think it was the Rager game against the 49ers, the the big gain from, from deep in the own end zone. What was it like the 90 whatever yard gain? Or oh, what Wes Watkins. Yeah. yeah okay. That, that, yeah, but that was like, pretty good the, throw. But like the, the point from throw to completion was what, like 45, 50 yards, something like that. I mean, that was a big time throw from. Okay. But that's week two. <laughs> it's right. going to be week seven, you know, like, and you're not seeing those enough. So, you know, I've said it before. I, I really do not hate Jalen Hurts. Like in a vacuum, I, I'm rooting for him as a player. I, I think he's likable. I think he has all the intangibles, but just like the arm isn't there, man. I just don't think the arm is there. And that's a big problem. And everyone's like, well, oh, it's only game 10. But like, how many more times are we going to say that? Like mm -hmm. how many, what, at what point do we stop saying it's only game like 
18. It's, like, it's, it's, it's kind of like um, like when, when new parents are like, oh, yeah, my kid's like 39 months old. You know, well, that's, yes. that's three. You know, <laughs> like, it's, right. You yeah. Know. What are we doing here? Yeah. Uh, so I think the Eagles are kind of just in a tough spot right now. Obviously, they're not going to do anything this season. They might. I think the, the most realistic outcome, RJ, is the and the one I kind of dread is the Eagles are stumbling here, but they actually have the easiest remaining schedule in the league, according to ESPN's uh, FPI, their football power index uh, metric. And I told you about some of the winnable games that they have coming up. I think they're going to end the year on this like false positive high note, and they'll be like, "Oh, you know, positive momentum is going to Every, carry everything's over. good." Yeah, we just got to we, we're going to get these <laughs> like that. That's a an interesting point, and like not to just like forget about that, but like I think the biggest like boost for the Eagles is their own first round pick, like arguably could be their worst one uh, of their three in in 2022. And so, but like that could be the the like argument in the conversation, right? Like, oh man, we'll just take these three first round picks and we'll just like reload the roster. And we'll just fill it up. There's a lot of holes on this team and they, they have a lot of work to do. There's no question about it. And they clearly have a quarterback issue which I mean magnifies all, all of the holes that you have to fill everywhere else. I think the optimism has to be about the long term in terms of, you know, these these high picks that they're presumably going to get. I think the Dolphins pick could honestly RJ be number one. Dude, like man, I don't, I don't what think a, that's likely, what a win. What what a win happen. last? Yeah, but what a win last week's loss was for for you for Eagles fans and that that the Dolphins lost to the Jaguars. I know you've been tracking this for a while. I, I, like it's not absurd at all that they could totally like the Lions are the last threat. Like that's the thing. Like yeah. you know, I, I'm sure you're you know, and you're rooting guys. You'll talk about that. Like if you're an Eagles fan, you got to be rooting for the Lions. I mean. It's, you know, like Nirvana for you if you're an Eagles fan. is like Bears-Lions. Like, go Bears. You know what I'm saying? Or no, Dolphins no, that's, that's not that's terrible for you. You need, you know, that's that's the, the, the conflict Lions. of emotion. Yeah. Because you need um, the Lions the, to win. Right. Um, and I, I don't know if they will, honestly, because I, I like Dan Campbell and everything. And I said that in our hot take episode before the season that we did. Oh, uh, dude. Um, but it, the wheels fell off a little bit last week. Well, they don't have the they don't have the talent like, and they're hurt. Right. They're really they're really banged up. Like, so their talent was bad to begin with, and the Lions are like super banged up. So I don't know if they're even going to win a game this year. And it's, it's so that's funny. I feel like you like this kind of stuff. I feel like this is a very you thing to say. But the Lions, first team to go zero and sixteen, the Lions might be the first team to also go zero and seventeen. Uh, so there's some symmetry for you. Um, I uh, but I feel badly for Jared Goff. How people are like he's zero and thirteen or whatever it is without Sean without McVay Sean. as his head coach. Yeah, okay. Like that's you know it's. I mean, yes, I'm not a Jared Goff guy, but yeah, like obviously, yeah, it's 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 very it's being very very specific. It's like his his head coaches outside of that have been Jeff Fisher and Dan Campbell. Like, let's chill out mm-hmm. a little bit here. It's not like he's yeah. losing games with Frank Reich or you know Kevin Stefanski or something like this. So yeah, I think he'd probably be you know if you put if you replace like Jared Goff with Kirk Cousins, I don't think it would look like. Uh, like amazingly, I think the Vikings would probably still be like three and three or maybe two and four right now, mm-hmm. just for um. But whatever, have, that has nothing to do with anything we're talking about. I, I lightly touched on this, and I know you've talked about it a lot. Uh, on Friday after the loss, the Eagles trading away Zach Ertz, finally. Um, yeah. And I, I saw a lot of people killing them for playing him. Like, a lot of people were like, well, what if you'd gotten hurt? It's like, well, Dallas Goddard was on the COVID list. Like, what were they supposed to do? You know, like, I, I don't blame them. And I know there was the, the video, I saw this on Reddit, uh, of him trotting into the locker room after the game. Um, very clearly emotional. I will say this, like full, total, serious, authentic statement here. I think it's awesome how much Zach Ertz loves 
being an Eagle or loved being an Eagle. Like that, that is a dream of a player. I know Seamus had a, a video for you guys. We talked about legends never die and stuff like that. Like, and if you're an Eagles fan, like, I don't know how Zach Chris isn't like among your all time favorite players, like ha- has a signature moment in the Super Bowl win. He's, he's always yeah. been the right guy. And, and you know, it's, it's awesome how Julie Ertz has been part of it. Like their whole family, like he, like, you know, I think it's a weird take on people are like, oh, watch out. The Cardinals got Zach Ertz. Like, I love Zach Ertz, but clearly not that dude anymore. Um, I loved how Zach Ertz honored Jason Witten when Witten retired for the first time. Like, he's now somebody who I, I no longer feel, you know, scummy rooting for now that he's away from the Eagles. But if if you're an Eagles fan and you don't have Zach Ertz's jersey, like, what are you doing? I mean, that he is that dude and has been that dude for a long time. Uh, your secret Eagles fandom showing out there. <laughs> I definitely. I, I, I'm never gonna be nice. Like what, what's what's you know whatever. But go ahead. Uh, I think Zach Ertz is still actually pretty good. I just like he obviously the numbers aren't there this year. But I, again, the quarterback does not really target tight ends as much, and he doesn't throw over the middle of the field, which is like Zach Ertz's bread and butter. Zach mm-hmm. Ertz is Zach Ertz isn't like consistently winning outside the numbers. Uh, so. Uh, I definitely think in Arizona he will be effective. I don't know to what extent, you know, because they have a lot of weapons there. But I think, you know, that was it was a good trade for the Cardinals because they didn't give up, I think, a whole lot. And Max um, Williams had just gotten hurt. Like, it, it, fit, hurt. it fit more than Buffalo did in the offseason, just in, in the moment, which, you know, and was interesting. Like, they're 5-0 at the time they made the trade. Like, you got to go all in. Like, you're like, oh, they're great. We could, we could go in a run. Let's, you know, push all the chips in, especially for a fifth round pick and a player who was like a sixth round quarterback this year, Tay Gallon. Not related to me. I am not related to Tay Gallon, um, if you were wondering, RJ. But uh, yeah, I think it's a fine trade for the Eagles. The, the point, the I'm not really wrapped up so much in the like him playing this week as much as that he played at all this season. And also, like, that's fair. He was in training camp because he could have gotten hurt. And then the Eagles would have been on the hook for like 8.5 million they otherwise could have cleared. And even some of that, they still did pay out because he's on the roster for these first uh, six games or so. So uh, I think the process of getting to this point was still kind of dumb and unnecessarily risky. Although there was an interesting note from uh, Joel Corey, former NFL agent, uh, in a column that he did for CBS Sports about how, and I had heard this in the summer too, that a big reason why the Eagles didn't pull the trigger on a Zach Ertz trade sooner, because that's that's part of this too, like, the offer like the Eagles were getting fists in the offseason for Zachers. They had to be like like that's not like some like hard thing to think about. Like right. I, I think they're absolutely getting that kind of offer. But a reason they didn't pull the trigger then, supposedly, uh, based on things I've heard and what Joe Corey also said, is that the Eagles were talking about moving Dallas Goddard in the package for Deshaun Watson. So I think that's there's some reluctance to include like to, to trade Zacherts right away because then they wouldn't have any tight ends. Although I think that was still dumb anyway. I don't think that should factor in, but. So I kind of had a problem with the process of how they got to this point, but the actual move itself like was logical. I mean, the Eagles aren't clearly doing anything this year. And Zach Ertz is going to be free agent after the season. And also you want to see what you have in Dallas Goddard as like tight end number one volume guy is instead of like splitting the playing time like he was with Ertz. And uh, the Eagles have their own version, RJ, of like a, a Rico Gathers. Gathers. Yeah. Good times. Uh, good. Great pull by Jackson. You. He played yeah. basketball in college, just so everybody's fully aware. Played basketball Everyone, in college. Never knew that. Do you know where Ryan Fitzpatrick went to college too, by the way? I don't. Uh, I think it was Yale, Princeton. We'll figure that out. Right. Um, But yeah, so Tyree Jackson was like looking really awesome in training camp. Now, that being said, Joe Flacco was usually the one throwing to him. So again, Jalen Hurts doesn't like to throw to the tight ends as much. So I'll be interested to see if that kind of is a factor. And Tyree Jackson is still currently on injured reserve, but should be back, I think, before the end of this month. So it'll, it'll kind of be interesting to get a look at him too. So the trade makes sense. 
And obviously, you kind of covered the emotional element and you know, Super Bowl winning uh, game winning catch in the Super Bowl. He had a big fourth and one conversion in that game, too. Um, I think he was their I forget. No, uh, I was like, I was their leading receiver that season, I believe, like the Super Bowl season. Uh, so, yeah, Zach Ertz meant a lot. He was a great player. He really like overcame like kind of like a slowish start to his career. There's a lot of criticism of him in 2016 when he didn't block uh, Vontae's perfect on a play. And he got caught a lot of heat for that and got called soft and everything. And I think a lot of players in that moment, RJ, not just in Philly, but across the league or across sports in general, like be like, no, you're wrong. Like I was okay. I, I was okay. Like I, they, they just, like defend themselves against all criticism instead of like taking that and actually like using that as motivation and be like, you know, you, you are right. I, I, I messed up there. I have to do better. I have to lose that reputation. Uh, like good contrast here. Like Ben Simmons, like <laughs> Ben Simmons doesn't think he's the problem. Everyone else is the problem. No, like sometimes you're the problem and it's okay to admit that. And you work on it and you, you work hard to prove your craft and then you win people over like Zach Ertz did. So uh, really good for Zach Ertz. And he, I think he, is like 11 or 10 so uh, shy of being the Eagles all-time receptions leader. I don't think it's impossible he returns to the Eagles like at some point down the uh, road, not like, in, not like, like in, next year. Yeah, like next year he signs the like one-year deal with the contender. You know, like that's like that's the move. You know, he signs whatever, go wants to get another ring, and then in 2023 it's the return, the Jason Peters type thing. Something um, like that. I could totally see that. Um, I will say again. I didn't mention this, but I I do I I respect this. I admire how much you because that you want to believe as a fan that your your favorite players love the team as much as you do. It was super cool how he and it was talked about a lot how he sat on the field at the end of last season with Jason Kelsey. Like that's what you want to like. I mean, I imagine every Eagles fan will hold you know that nucleus of guys very close to their hearts uh, for a long, long, long time. And that's that's the kind of stuff that, you know, that, that makes you makes you spend all the money you spend and, and waste all the time you do and, and you know, et cetera. I mean, so um, good luck to Zach Ertz. Um, I this you mentioned it's not a New England Patriots podcast, not a Houston Texans podcast. But would you say if we are to assume the Dallas Goddard thing is true about Deshaun Watson, that like teams are now out like if the Eagles, you know, who have been linked to him a lot. But we're willing to say, you know what, if that was that, it, like if we are again, we're assuming a few things here, but like if that was one important trade piece and now we're not including that anymore, if the Eagles are out, who's in like who's in on Deshaun Watson at this point, at least for this season? I mean, I feel like it has to be Miami. I mean, I think right, Miami, like that's the only one, but they're the only one. Right. There's there's no contender at this point. Uh, I don't think it's impossible. The uh, Panthers revisit that as well. Mm. well they should. I mean, the, just from the standpoint of not the standpoint of like advocating for Deshaun Watson, obviously, but the, right. the standpoint of like they should not be just be like, okay, we traded for Sam Darnold, so now it's on cost. Um, well, not a Panthers podcast either, but uh, maybe, yeah, like is Teddy Bridgewater like, is, is there like not some like they'd be better off with Teddy Bridgewater than Sam Darnold? Is my point. The Panthers, the, the Panthers, I, yeah, like that, that was at best a lateral move, is my point. So, I don't think it's yeah, much of a difference. Um, maybe they but, trade for Joe Flacco. Oh, well, you mentioned whether or not the Panthers would visit that again. They will visit the New York not good at all at football giants uh, this week in week seven. The G-Men BLG lost to the Rams last week, 38 to 11. The Rams did not score in the first quarter. However, they did score 28 points in the second quarter. Uh, the scoreboard at MetLife Stadium read 28 to 3 when the New York Giants celebrated the most fraudulent Super Bowl title in NFL history at halftime. Um, again, they 
celebrated Eli Manning when losing 10 to 6. Their combined scores in two first halves when celebrating Eli Manning and their Super Bowl 46 team were nine total points this season. Um, that's who the Giants are at this point. The Giants are a bunch of people living in the past. The Giants are what a lot of people say the Cowboys are, like Quit living in the past. Like that's who they are. They will talk about those two teams in the perfect Patriots that they defeated forever. Um, they are so awful, dude. They they are. You mentioned lack of juice. They are boring. They are gross. They are not at all disciplined. They're beat up. I mean, which sucks. But I mean, they are. Th- this is one of the worst teams front offices organizations in the nfl right now i mean they've invested in some injured players like you know sequan obviously and then uh evan ingram um so not it's not like just pure bad luck as well but yeah i mean they're literally the worst team in the nfl since 2017 as we've covered before but actually solely hold that now because the jets run a bye this week so they have that going for them uh i i just think giants fans like if i'm to give you any advice it's time to tune out like not to this podcast. Keep, you know, download, rate, review, subscribe to all this mm-hmm. and, and follow, you know, check out bigblueview.com, obviously, for oh, all sure. content. But don't go to the games. Do not go to the games. Do not support that team. Like, going to the stand, like, I, I, I don't really love the attitude of you have to support the team no matter what and just blindly follow. No. Like, no, you, you have, bad, yeah, you, you have your say, you have your control, you have your voice. Totally agree with you. You need to be like, it sounds weird to say, but like, you almost need to be silent though. Like, like don't, don't even react. Just tune out. You need to be, you can't be angry because when you're like, I mean, obviously you, it's natural to be angry, but like, don't go to the games. Like, like Ed Valentine was talking about this. Like he, one, and one thing he took away from the game uh, on Sunday was he thought it was crazy that there was still like so many people left towards the end or not like so many, but there, that even that amount that there were, there weren't even a lot, but there were some uh like and i think even at the start of the game like there weren't a lot of people in the stadium relative to he like the normal expectation which is good because you shouldn't go you shouldn't like you should show the ownership that you guys are tuning out and you're apathetic and you're not going to tune back in until the team gives you reason to for some reason in terms of you know making big changes i mean like it's obviously time for gettleman to go i don't think they're going to get rid of joe judge but they should but like i don't know man it's not even that simple because it seems like the owners just don't know what they're doing right like do you have any faith they're gonna hire the the right person next time because look who who they've hired this I, dinosaur I, of a gm and pat Shermer before and ben mcadoo and like and now joe like the, like there's no faith that the owners are actually going to make the right decisions even if they make the change at head coach and gm i i think the I've asked you before if the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl in the worst possible way, right? Because it created this like hubris within the front office and and led to the 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 implosion that we've seen. I think that that happened twice with the New York Giants. Because like like, do you think Tom Coughlin was a great coach? Like, do do you look back and like you know you're like man, like like the most formidable coach they ever had was Steve Spagnuolo. Like that, like in terms of like individual elements, like Tom Coughlin, if anything, was like. Joe Judge. Joe Judge is Tom Coughlin light. They're like, if you're not five minutes early, blah, blah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's this like disciplinarian old. That's all they are. They're this old school, archaic Bill Parcells. Like, they're trying to reincarnate the Bill Parcells Giants all the time. That's who they're trying to be. And it's just, it's not going to work. There's nothing like futuristic or innovative about them in any single way. Like, you mentioned, like, people are talking so much about Kellen Moore, right? He's going to be head coach in the NFL. If I was Kellen Moore and my options next year were the New York Giants head coaching job or the Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator job, let alone the fact that he would be repeating as a Super Bowl champion. But I mean, why would you want that job? Like we, we every year people talk about like you sometimes you only get one shot 
know what I mean? Like you only, you only get one, like, why would you hit yourself to the giants of all teams? Like that, that's, you're going to be done in two years. That's what like history shows. You know, when I talked to Ed, when the Cowboys and giants played, he said, he doesn't think Joe judge is going to get fired because the giants can't fire him after two years. Like they did with McAdoo, not even and Shermer, you know, like they, they have to see this through. I hope they do, but man, like he, he is the face of the dysfunction. Like, you know, like it just, there are bad vibes when it comes to Joe judge. I wonder, I think it's just something that's under talked about when it comes to the giants, like the ownership should, at least like maybe nationally, not giant fans. I think giant fans talk about this, but like, isn't it weird how they have two owners? And I think that's, that's been a problem though. Ed has kind of talked about, has written about that before where like, there's been differences in visions here. I think like at one point they wanted to reset. There's one of the owners like wanted to reset, but another one wanted to keep holding on to Eli, you know, cause they, you know, the franchise legend and everything. Like, it seems like there's kind of competing visions there though. It's like, like one vision. So I think maybe that's part of the solution is kind of just like narrowing it down to one owner and having one vision and trying to execute that. Now that vision won't matter if they're still bad, but at least like you're picking a lane and staying in it as opposed to like trying to do multiple things at once and like not balancing them at all. I don't know. I think it starts there. I think when you're, you're having like losing for this long, that's consistent. It can't just be again about the coach and, and all of that stuff. Like it goes bigger than that. And I, it sucks I, because you can't really do much about I, it. You can't like force the owner just to sell, but they should. So like I was stammering because I think the problem is partly Giants fans. I know this is mm. a weird take to have. Like I'm not saying that's the problem problem, but like look look at the state of of the non-Cowboys teams right now, right? But which are all in in various types of dysfunction. I would say universally Washington fans are, you know, just beyond upset with the handling of their franchise. They're embarrassed to be associated with that team. But like we talked about, like, you know, that's the team they've rooted for forever. They're just stuck. They're at this point of apathy. I don't think Eagles fans are apathetic. I think they're pissed. E Eagles fans are like, it should be better than this. You, you know what I mean? Like, But there is still this level of like conviction and understanding. Like there's a, there's a path and you're just not taking it. I think Giants fans are, are misguided or maybe not misguided I, I i think they're under the wrong impression i was i mentioned reddit earlier i was browsing the Giants subreddit um last weekend and there were still fans like killing john mara for allowing ben mcadoo to bench eli manning when he did in favor of geno smith um and because geno's name was in the news this week because you know he started he started on sunday and it was like can you believe john mara vetted this and allowed this and blah it's like if, if any decision has been made of a sound mind within this organization the last five years, it was that one. But the fact that, like, nobody is willing to admit that is the problem. You know what I mean? Like, with this team, they're constantly trying to hold on to the past, like I said. Um, and I, you, you mentioned how there's two owners. And I mentioned Geno Smith started against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm down on the Steelers as a whole this year. I've said that several times on the SB Nation NFL show. But Mike Tomlin is a great coach and always finds a way to, like, drag – sometimes a lifeless Ben Roethlisberger to the finish line. And I think that the Giants think they're the Steelers, right? Like, because they have the, like, yeah. familial ties, and they really believe that they're that. And, like, they have the same pedigree, the same, you know, blue-bloodness in their culture, in their organization. And they're not. Like, there are so many, you know, self-lies being told by Giants ownership, Giants brass, Giants executives, Giants fans. It's a culture across the entire Giants spectrum is my point.
But I mean, that speaks to ownership though, too, with the Steelers, like the Steelers have this model of stability. And I think that's where their kind of culture starts from because it's like Tomlin does a great job, obviously, but like they knew to hire Mike Tomlin and that was a really good decision. And just obviously going back to before him, they haven't missed the playoffs since what, like 2000 or they haven't had a losing season since 2003. Like, and that was obviously before Tomlin was there. So I think that's a big factor. And uh, I, I get you with the fans, and maybe it sounds like a little silly that they have to be apathetic, but I, I think it's true. I, I think that ownership has to realize that fans are just not caring about this team. They're not invested. And uh, I, I do think from some perspectives, and maybe I'm biased, I just I think that Giants fans are maybe so- – or the market, not necessarily sp- like fan, like the, the market seems soft to me or something about it, or even the way that the, the writers cover the team, something – because like I'm – Here's what I'll say. If the Eagles were the worst team in the NFL since 2017, I can oh, guarantee you. Yeah, you would be kill like you guys. <laughs> yeah. You, you like you guys as a whole kill them. Like we kill the Cowboys. You're right. right. Like there's this like this like coddling of the Giants yeah. organization that happens yes. in the media. Yeah, the Eagles will be getting I mean, they get yeah, they get crushed like now. <laughs> and a few seasons after they won a Super Bowl. Like Mike, look get, at Mike, Mike McCarthy's getting crushed and the Cowboys sure. are 5 and 1. I mean, to yeah. that point. I mean, yeah. it's um and I think this is exemplified by their players in some instances. I I did want your take on this on the record BLG. We have a few more things to to breeze through very quickly. But Evan Ingram, who Ed Valentine listed as players the Giants should try and flip before the trade deadline on November 2nd. Evan Ingram last week BLG accused Cowboy safety Jaron Curse of punching him after the Cowboys beat the Giants. Evan Ingram alleges that this happened after the game during post-game handshakes. NFL mm-hmm. Films reviewed this. There is no footage of any sort of altercation between the two. Um, like that's that's to me who they are. Like they're just this, you know, this say stuff, don't have to back it up at all sort of team. Um, J. J Ron Curse, for what it's worth, so that everyone's fully aware, including Eagles fans, when Daniel Jones got hurt near the end of the first half against the Cowboys, J. Ron Curse was the first person to run over and to help him up. I mean, so this idea that he would punch Evan Ingram kind of just runs counterculture to that, that idea. Uh, I was distracted by the Ben Simmons thing. What'd you say? <laughs> what was the point here? That Evan Ingram just accused J. Ron Curse of punching him in the face with no oh, evidence to yeah. back him up whatsoever. Well, it's a losing culture. Like, I think that word can get, uh, you know, obviously overrated, overused and misapplied a lot of the times, but I mean, it really is. It's, uh, I think the way Evan Silva, the great Evan Silva usually puts it is there's a re- like bad teams stay bad. And there's a reason for that. And it goes beyond just like the, some of the things we it's like it's everything. It's not just going back to the Dan Snyder of it all. It's not just like they're getting, uh, you know, again, the, the harder stuff. Right. But the easy stuff wrong. It's just like everything. It's just like infected with like a losing culture. They're getting everything wrong. They're not doing anything right. And. Uh, must be tough. Must be. I, I again. I think I've said this before to you. Maybe not. Like I almost, not actually, but I almost feel bad for Giants fans. Like obviously, I enjoy them being the worst team. I'd prefer that. I want them to lose every single game. I like ideally in a way that doesn't help them. You know, get a good quarterback and draft pick and everything. Um, but like just having you know covered the Eagles like I do, and obviously you have perspective too from covering the Cowboys. Like it's must be hard for Ed, man. Like because what is he at what point like. At a certain point, like, what do you write about? And even as a fan, like, what do you talk about? Like, what is interesting to talk about? Like, are, you're talking about, like, I don't know, like, 
some calls from the the loss of the Ra- like who cares? It literally doesn't matter. Like no, I I mean that's I'm. I mentioned he he's writing about players that the Giants should trade on October 19th, you know, which, by the way, is a great day if you're a fan of the show community. Um, But the the players that Ed listed, BLG, tell me if you're arbitrary team X, would you trade for any of these players? These are who Ed listed as players the Giants should try to flip. Evan Ingram, as mentioned, James Bradbury, Jabril Peppers. Yes. So you say yes to James Bradbury, yes to Jabril Peppers, Lorenzo Carter. I don't have a strong opinion on him. Darius Slayton. Yeah, I like Darius Slayton. And Sterling Shepard. Sure. Yeah. There's a team out there that probably needs a slot receiver. I I don't know that this is going to happen here. Now, in Ed's write-up, he has a big old um, sort of chunk of the article dedicated to the, the subheading is, now let's talk about Saquon Barkley. The first thing he writes has been, or, or is, there has been some chatter that the Giants should look to trade Barkley at the deadline. I, yes. absolute, I absolutely get it. I also absolutely disagree with it. Ed, I love oh you. Oh, my gosh. But Ed, what Giant, are you doing? Yeah, Giants, you got to get out of this. You, you got to disassociate. Like, Saquon's awesome. I'm not trying to what say What are you going to do? Yeah, like, you're stuck. You, like, you're in you're purgatory as long as you yeah, have that's, Saquon. That's what you're going to do. You're going to keep him, and then you're going to give yep. him a big contract? No. Mm-hmm. Like, get rid of Like, obviously, whatever you get for him is not going to be, like, great because it's, he's not going to have amazing value because he is a running back. And you have to pay him, but it's going to be better yep. than the alternative. Cut your losses. Like, uh, yep. the Cowboys have kind of come out on the other side of this with Zeke, and like they've overpaid him. There's no doubt about it, but he's contributing at a high level to their offense. That's not, ha- but that is mostly because I don't want to take anything away from Zeke, but that's because the offense as a whole is elite and is successful. And that's just like there's no end in sight for you if you're the Giants. You're not going to get to this Cowboys point with Saquon, not at, not at, during the time of, of the prime of his career. And, and that's just, you got to accept that. And, and if you don't, you're going to stay the New York Giants. I think people look at it as like, how could you trade the number two overall pick for, let's say, like a second round pick? Not even, like, dude. Not even. That's really nice of you to well, say. I'm saying, <laughs> no generous way. even and right. put it that. I think they can get a third at least. I definitely think they could get a third. Um, but like, oh yeah, how could you do that? Well, it's like it's not, a, but it doesn't work that way. It's not like that's not what you're actually doing. What you're right. doing is doing what's best for the team now. You can't look back. Like, stop looking backward. Like, you talked about stop looking backward in terms of your success. Like, stop looking backward at all. Just only look forward. Only think about what is going to position us in the future. Like, and I, they they should sell everyone and anyone they can. There's no, like, I don't think there's any player on that roster that I can I, think of. I can't believe I'm going to say this. You know what, Giants? Be the Eagles. They, they did it. Like, it was, it was a big pill to swallow to trade Carson Wentz, right? And you can certainly say it kind of had to be done. But, like, hey, second overall pick. You traded all this stuff to get him. You're going to take a huge loss. Do it. You got to do it. You, you have to rip this Band-Aid off. Um, so I know the New York Giants listen. I know, BLG, that Nick Sirianni listens because he's, he's taken away the highlighter from his visor. He's heard me. He's, he knows I'm on to him. All right, good. <laughs> uh, last thing before we leave, uh, picks. We've never done this before, so in keeping with tradition, we're going we're gonna to do picks for each team. Washington uh, at Green Bay. Packers. Me too. Still own you. I still own you. Oh, dude, that was awesome. I hate Aaron Rodgers with all of me, but that was so sick. Like, I Stats that. complained about it. Listen to the SB Nation NFL show. The stats. Hear stats be wrong about Aaron Rodgers. Oh, my gosh. That was so stupid. Stats is pissed because Aaron also owns the 49ers. I don't care what the records are. Uh, anyway, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles at the Las Vegas Raiders. We got a really impressive win last week against the fraudulent Denver Broncos. Um, I will take Vegas, BLG. 
Yeah, this was like an interesting game and I think an interesting week because everyone was had their eye like on the Raiders. It's like, okay, are they going to fall apart, you know, with John Gruden resigning and disgrace and everything? Or are they going to kind of like rise, you know, to the challenge mm-hmm. or whatever? And uh, they certainly did the latter and blew out. I know that like the Broncos aren't good, but it's still a quality frauds. win. I think they're they in. Yeah, but like I think it's a it's a quality win to go oh, into for the, Denver. For the Raiders, like, it is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like it's a, it's a good win. It's not like they only beat the Broncos because the Broncos stink, which I agree they're not great. But like they're you know they're not the Jets. They're not like the you know the Jaguars. Like they're I think they're a little bit above that. So uh, yeah, I I don't know. I think it's kind of a toss up. Um, I could see the Eagles getting the upset, but I don't think it's the likely thing. I think the Raiders are a solid team, and the Eagles' offense is like broken right now. So I don't know how you're betting on that. So uh, I will take the Raiders. Uh, me too. Um, as mentioned, the New York Football Giants, BLG, host of the Carolina Panthers, who are also frauds, were three and zero. Now three and three, lost to Kirk Cousins, your boy. I don't know how you pick the Giants, though. I don't, I don't know how you can do that with a straight face. I mean, only because like if Sam uh, Darnold goes, I almost said Sam Bradford. If Sam Darnold goes out <laughs> and uh, throws like three picks, which I think is possible. I mean, maybe then. Um, if I'm picking the, if anyone's picking the Giants to win this game, it wouldn't be about because like, I feel good about them as much as I just really do not like Sam Darnold at all. But well, I'll, I will take the Panthers. Uh, me too. Last thing, absolute last thing. The news that distracted BLG is a tweet from Shams. Source: Doc Rivers asked Ben Simmons to join a defensive drill today. Simmons refused. Rivers asked again. Simmons said no again. Rivers then told Simmons he should go home, and Simmons dropped the ball and left. Okay. He's such a loser, man. He is such a loser. <laughs> he legitimately thinks that like he's not the problem. And that like one of the latest things that came out about him is like Philly wasn't an environment for him to fail. Right. But, like that's such garbage. Like he's not trying new things. He's not trying to like get better at shooting and he's like struggling with it. And then like people are booing him. No, like he just he has this warped sense of reality. He's totally misplayed the situation in terms of he lost like over a million dollars or whatever because he somehow didn't realize that if not showing up, he would lose the money and not be able to get it back. So uh, Ben Simmons is a big loser. And who is my takeaway? My abs- for real last question. Who is the most Ben Simmons player in the NFC East? In the NFC East, um, Jalen Smith was kind of up there. I mean, not quite, but like just in J- terms of Jalen like the- was up there in terms of like lack of self-awareness. Carson yes, Wentz was up correct. there. Um Right now, I think it's Joe Judge. It's not a player, but Joe Judge is wow. the Ben Simmons of the NFCs. You love Joe Judge, man. He's your favorite I mean, guy. I it's really, but I I know you and I both like the block Giants as opposed to the block NY. Uh, but it's really bothered me lately how he's it, he's wearing a hoodie with the block Giants, but it's like it's a navy. You know what I mean? Mm. And the, and the Giants are, are wearing their like every other coach is wearing the like royal blue color that the Giants helmet. This is. Bold of you to say as a Cowboys fan, where like there's 50 different shades of blue and they don't match. Mm. It's also 50 shades of gray, but mm. um, it is what it is. Uh, BLG, last word belongs to you. 